Hi, this is Dr. Claire Steffen, and I am a psychologist, a naturopath, a certified alcohol and drug counselor, national board certified counselor, master herbalist, certified natural health professional, and a board certified coach in life coaching, wellness coaching, and business coaching. In nature, everything is in balance, and so we too are part of nature, and it's nature's intention that we should be in balance. Today we're going to talk about brain-based being, and this is our second segment of Heal Your Brain Toolbox. Thank you for joining me. The brain is our most powerful organ, and yet we neglect to nurture it. You know, from a very young age, we're teaching our children about all kinds of academics, and we're teaching skills and tools, but little attention is paid to how we develop our brains. And so we're not teaching our children how to create healthy relationships, and our families are struggling. If you think about it, the family's the first place we learn about relationships, and yet about 50% of our marriages end in divorce because of unhealthy choices, poor communication, and just being out of balance. Little attention is paid to our brain balance, unless there's an obvious reason, like there is a specific physical or mental illness that gets detected or diagnosed. And then when this occurs, scientists such as psychologists, psychiatrists, um, neuroscientists, neurologists, they step in then and they look to explain it by diagnosing. You know, And we look at the brain then and we become very interested in it, is it as a vital organ because it's now symptomatic and it draws our attention. But what if there wasn't an illness and we started to practice and consider brain health from day one? That's, it's something that we should be teaching our children about in rather more of an integrative and holistic manner. Scientists offer many explanations about what happens when illness occurs. And you know some of these explanations are really helpful but some of them are not, and really some of them have the potential to do great harm in the cases where there's a misdiagnosis or there's improper treatment that follows. And then that just exacerbates this imbalance in the brain condition. Many dedicated scientists you know, would argue uh, and debate over whether or not there's such a thing as the mind. And we look at ancient philosophy, and they studied the mind. You know, and they, they decided that that was the seat of intelligence. But as society developed and we started to have more tools and instruments to study the physical body and the brain, we paid less attention to the mind. And, you know, we started to forget about those philosophies just a little bit. And as we focused more on the physical body and the physical being of the brain, and uh, I'm, I'm posing that maybe we don't really need to throw out the baby with the bathwater. So continuing along the lines that, um, you know, we've been discussing here about brain-based balance uh, and what we need to consider, you know, when we look at the mind here, uh, that the, the two can work in concert and that we may need that in order to have a healthy brain. And so we can conceive of our brain as the hardware or the physical construction, and the mind more as the software. And that, that allows our brain to run the programs, and that supports abstraction, conceptualization, and innovation. And we can also think of it and discuss it in terms of critical, 
and creative thinking. Ideally, having the ability um, for cognitive flexibility allows us not only to develop the skills, but the different styles of thinking and to apply these strategies most effectively and efficiently, not only to maintain our thinking abilities, but to acquire new learning, along with maintaining previous learned information on which we can build. And sometimes that's called scaffolding. So what if we looked at ourselves as the architect or engineer of our brain health? and we can intelligently focus on creating brain balance. How might that look? Let's consider for a moment the common language we hear when we talk about mind, body, spirit. You know, at first we don't have to conceive of the mind as something that's an abstraction that we cannot see or touch because there's no evidence that it exists. But, you know, we can think about the mind really more as something like a beautiful gift. It allows us to experience cognitive flexibility to use our imaginations. And our culture places high regard on logic and rational thought. You know, and there is a place for that. But what happens when we focus on that to an extreme? You know, and this again can contribute to the question of balance. When we only accept the logical explanations, we negate the value of our feelings and our emotions. You know, which is a very rich area of our personal and relational experience. So everything in life is relational, and it occurs in the context of culture. So when we value logic-driven thought without regard for feeling content, we find that the potential for more brain imbalance can occur. So we throw away innovation, and we toss aside creativity, and the exploration of new ways of thinking, so the mind is just, you know, uh, such an active, fertile place for us that we don't really need to do that because this would be key to have this balance in order to create brain health. Let's look now at the second part of the mind-body-spirit equation, which is the body. And let's consider, you know, some of the things that might contribute to brain imbalance when it comes to the body. We live in a culture that's very immediate and uh, we have disposable resources without any consideration of the cost. And again, from this perspective, it's easy, you know, um, to really think about it uh, in terms of a relational perspective. You know, perhaps we need to consider everything more in an integrative and sustainable approach to our health. So what if some of these obstacles that we have that create negative affect and um, you know, can impair our health? Let's look at this for a minute. Our foods are designed to make us fat. Um, you know, they, they hit the pleasure reward systems in our brains in such a way that we crave things that really aren't very good for us. <laughs> Uh, and because our foods are made up of this kind of fat and problems, you know, uh, result with the body, because the body doesn't recognize it and can't metabolize it. And so it doesn't know how to break it down in a way effectively that creates energy or fuel. So it just stores there. And what are some of the other substances in our food that create this brain-body imbalance? So we've talked a little bit now about unhealthy fats, but what about refined sugars sugar replacements, preservatives, and in particular MSG, which is hidden in so many foods, dyes, and the empty uh, carbohydrate calories. 
So that's one problem right there is the food source, but what else contributes to the imbalances in our brains? Um, there's a number of things. There's environmental toxins. Um, we sometimes have unhealthy sleep patterns. We have an overstimulation of our brain from electronic devices. And even though we're living in a very global world, the more and more technology have, the more people seem to experience isolation and loneliness. We have decreased support of communication, um, even though we have all these different means and ways to communicate. There's less sense of community for people. Uh, the impact of social isolation and this decreased emotional support depletes our brains of the healthy chemicals that it needs in order to function. The other things we need to be thinking about is managing unhealthy stress or unhealthy anger and unhealthy relationships. There's probably many other things that contribute, but those are some of the key ones to think about. The third part of the equation of the mind-body-spirit um, paradigm is the spirit. You know, And some people think of this as a very nebulous concept, but let's consider it momentarily and how we can think of it uh, in a different sort of way. We tend to think of things in a very dichotomous way, that they're either or situations when, you know, in reality, very few things in life are really just either or conditions. So we tend to think in terms of black and white thinking or right or wrong or healthy or unhealthy, un unintelligent, intelligent. But really, you know, these things are all happening in relationship to one another. And so when we begin to view them on a continuum, Let's not just think about the continuum as a straight line or linear thinking, but perhaps more we can fashion it in a way that we think of it in a radial perspective and that it rotates. And so we get a full array effect. And now this provides a more diverse and inclusive way of discussing human behaviors, thoughts, feelings, and a way of being. So what is this concept of being and how do we, how do we achieve it? Eastern philosophies, African, Native American, and Indian, and other cultures, they really struggle less with this concept because they understand it within the context of culture. Westernized culture, we focus on productivity. You know, when we measure how productive a person is, and that's the way we value them um, and within their specific uh, socioeconomic you know, position within the culture. And you know, then we tend to categorize these social constructs and we define the worth of the person uh, considering where they are in the context of the culture that they're living within. So you think about it, these social constructs are very deterministic and they're based on social economics and they can be viewed in a fixed sort of way, which can be very limiting and constricting. But you know, it fits our logical point of view. And then people know how to compartmentalize it, even if that promotes prejudice and perhaps inequality. So what if everything you know, that we're doing here, you know, what does it really have to do with spiritual balance in life? You know, is there a way to look at this in which you know, we see the spiritual realm as not just an abstraction? Can it be something that's more tangible? And then that would really have a constructive impact on how we develop. Pastors, ministers, priests, religious leaders, they would agree, yes, that our spiritual life is very active. And, you know, we can discuss it and debate it. 
And we could look at discussion between what is religion and what is spirituality. Tend to think of religion implying that it's, you know, attached to an organization or a structure that's based there to promote faith. And when we look at spirituality, we're thinking of it more as an individualized or an internal process and that doesn't really require a building or a structure or an organization in order to experience faith. And you want to know, you know, can people have an illness of spirituality or an imbalance of spirituality? I think so. You know, people can lose hope or the belief, you know, or faith that things will get better. And that can make them feel quite sick. So now we've discussed the mind-body-spirit connection and how they're interrelated and how imbalances within each of these contributes to brain imbalances. But now what does that have to do with the concept of being? So consider for a minute what value we place in society. And, you know, if we're not considered productive and a contributing member of society, how much value do we have? You know, do, and I think that people who are disenfranchised or homeless, you know, or lacking social and emotional financial support sometimes are dismissed. You know, sadly, this is true. You know, we, we tend to not put as much cultural value on people that are in uh, those predicaments in life, you know. Um, and so, you know, what happens to the essence of their being when we communicate to them that they have little value. Now, you might think this is an extreme thought, but, you know, what if, you know, it isn't? You know, there's many people in which that isn't an extreme thought. And, you know, I think that when it is an extreme thought, sometimes people can just dismiss it because it's unpleasant and they don't want to be um, dealing with, with that concept so much. But it does have relevance, you know, and maybe for some people more than for others. Um, but now, if you take a minute and just reflect about your own sense of being, you know, how would you define it? Is it connected to your identity? Or how do you view yourself? How do you talk to yourself? You know, is it done in a negative way? And when that occurs, how do you manage those negative thoughts? How do these thoughts affect you? And how do they make you feel? And then how do you, you know, think and feel in such a way that makes you feel better? You know, and how do those thoughts and feelings impact your behavior? Do you believe your negative thoughts? So when we explore this, you know, thought, feeling, behavior paradigm, we have to consider the beliefs or we're not going to affect change. So now, you know, when we consider what we believe about ourselves and how it impacts this nebulous concept of being, when you peel it back and you ask yourself, who am I? Am I more than just this mind, body, spirit construct? You know, and how do others view me? And how do I view myself? You know, what's my sense of being? And am I at one with myself? You know, and do I accept and love myself? Am I comfortable with who I am? Or who I'm becoming? You know, we are ever-changing, I think, and so we're always in a state of becoming. And then when we accept this truth, we can allow ourselves to transcend any kind of situation 
or any of those constructs that define us, you know, our socioeconomic status, um, where we're placed in society, and how we're culturally defined in our identities within the culture. So, you know, when you, you know, kind of just take away all of this and move behind these expectations um, that can either limit us or form us, uh, you know, we can really then kind of get to a place where our authentic selves and we can get to that true being. But how do we nurture that authentic self or the true being? Today at the beginning of our conversation, I suggested to you that everything in nature is in balance and that we too should be in balance and that's nature's intention for us. You know, but when we impulsively respond to the cravings and immediacy of our culture for instant gratification, that feeds those imbalances. And we tend to think of ourselves, you know, in these dichotomous ways as either I'm introvert or extrovert, or I'm right-brained or left-brained, you know, as opposed to really the complex beings that we are. You know, and that life requires us to actively and responsibly maintain a delicate balance with our lifestyles to create that brain balance that we're talking about here today. So in future segments, we'll be talking about choice and social and emotional intelligence and how to develop life skills that are necessary, you know, in order to create a brain balanced being and how to acquire that brain balanced way of life. Uh, connecting to our true nature and learning how to make more healthy choices is within our grasp. We are never alone, we're never abandoned, and we are worthy of love and acceptance. We are resilient. Everything is relational and universally connected. We are one. Affirmations require action in order to promote change. Taking steps to create a healthy lifestyle moves us in the direction of wellness. Begin today to make a commitment to improve your health physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Connect to yourself in that authentic and true sense of being and focus on you know, creating a healthy vision of yourself that you deserve. And I also want you to think about the fact that everything is relational you know, be at one with nature, be at one with yourself, and connect to it, create to it, relate to it, and accept the vision of brain-based being as your roadmap for life. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you'll stay tuned and join me in future segments of the Heal Your Brain Toolbox. Have a nice day.